Willst du mit mir gehen, wenn mein Weg ins Dunkel führt? Willst du mit mir gehen, wenn mein Tag schon Nacht wie ihn spürt? Wenn ich nicht mehr Vagabond sein will, baust du mein Haus und ruhst du mit mir vom Leben aus. Willst du mit mir gehen, Licht und Schatten verstehen, dich mit der Wind That was the sound of cult Euro actress Dahlia Larvey and her huge European hit, Willst du mit mir gehen? We'll be discussing Dahlia later on, but for now, all you need to know is, it's the Bristol Cult Film Society Cult Film Podcast Podcast! Episode 5, Evisceration in Eastville. Or, perhaps not. Because our guest reviewers this time around hail from Australia and New Zealand. Should it be... Crisis in Christchurch. Madness in Melbourne. Or Hell to Pay in Hobart. I'm your host, shameful Steve Noble. New Year, same old us, as we take a walkabout through the gullies and the dust bowls of cult film. As ever, three leading members of the UK's most outré online film group, the Bristol Cult Film Society, discuss, well, what else? Because our guests hail from the Antipodes, we of course have chosen a clutch of Euro horror chillers from the 1960s. But what do we think? Are they fair dinkum? Or is it down the dunny? <laughs> Our first guest is our Australian Arnie, our down below danger man. It's Sparky Ardito, and he's come out swinging with our first viewing, the underrated gem, Nightmare Castle. I'll stay with you with my body and my senses until someone comes and destroys my heart. Dynamic Danny Balshan writes some fabulous critiques on the Bristol Cult Film Society Facebook page. And under Cloak of Darkness, spins a mean collection of reggae and ska. Our humane hamburgerin has provided a superb introduction to the East German crimi genre in the form of Dead Eyes of London. The statistics say that every year London has 40 nights of fog. And who will they murder tonight, I wonder? His jokes are dire. His knowledge is limited. But lucky he's got Sparky and Danny to do all the hard work. Our third guest is me, Shameful Steve, and I've brought along the very first Mario Bava movie to slice its way into the pod. Mr. Christopher Lee stars in The Whip and the Body. Trust me, it'll leave you scarred. I've come back. And to get my revenge on all those who hate me. But first, a disclaimer. The Bristol Cult Film Society has little regard for your physical well-being. We only want to nourish your mental health, regardless of the screwed-up state your brain might already be in. Let's just say we encourage your addiction. Disclaimer. There is an inherent risk of ultra-high-definition 4K Blu-ray DVD, VHS, Betamax, or even Laserdisc purchasing while listening to this podcast. The management accepts no responsibility for lost income, potential bankruptcy, or lost relationships while using the facility. Any incidents of t-shirt purchasing, wobbly-headed rubber monster, or final sound recording are done under the listener's personal agency and do not reflect the intention of the podcast. The podcast is for recreational use only and not for profit. However, should an occasion arise when any listener or organisation should like to forward large sums of cash to the proprietors, this can and will be arranged swiftly and at the listener's or organisation's convenience. 
normally at this point I introduce our Blu-ray bloodhound, the brilliant John Tiberius Kirk. But wait! We have a very special announcement coming up. Stay tuned to the end to follow the trail of the Blu-ray bloodhound. He's still your pal. He's still your chum. And you never know, you might win a lot. But before that, let's get heated with our Antipodean allies once more. It's the depths of winter over here in the UK, but Sparky and Danny are sipping mojitos by their respective swimming pools, sweltering in the heat, and try not to get bitten by the unique native venomous species. Sparky, introduce yourself. I'm Sparky Argito, or as I'm more commonly known. Um, I'm down here in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. The next stop is the South Pole. I work for a public sector organisation, of which I won't name, Um, but our mission is to make the world a better place. And um, I spend a lot of time um, dealing with people in difficult situations, which is why I like to relax watching horror movies and Jallo and basically anything with a lot of unreality. Steve Nave and I were on another film group, which is nowhere near as exciting as this, and we just went off on our old little side tangent about conversations about dogs, and we were swapping photos of our dogs and just boring the shit out of everybody else on the page, and Steve said, I'm thinking of starting this film group, and, um, you know, would you be interested? It's like, yep, I think so. I said, I think we're boring everybody else. So um, here we are. And honestly, I'm I'm not doing so much on Facebook these days, but I always look in on the Bristol Cult Film Society. Yeah, I'm Jenny, and I live since um, now 17 or 18 years in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, Since eight years here in Omaru, before that in Queenstown. I'm originally born in Hamburg, Germany, and that's where this beautiful, not beautiful accent is coming from. And um, I've worked um, a long time for in Germany for public um, TV stations and then in Queenstown for a company who um, does trips for a lot of the ring locations. And then when I moved to Omaha, I changed my field completely and do more or less something similar then Sparky does. I work for a company called Pact here, and we do support for people with a mental or intellectual disability with a correction background and do mental health support for them. Um, I know all you guys, uh, I think through Steve, because um, I'm since a long time on all these kind of film boards and exploitation homes. And, um, yeah, I got asked to join Bristol and, uh, the Bristol Film Society, and I think it's uh, one of the groups where you don't have constantly the same movies um, mentioned, and I really appreciate that, and um, watch such a lot of amount of movies for similar reasons than Sparky basically does. Yeah. I am Shameful Steve Noble, a nickname given to me by the podcaster Adam Roach on account of my terrible jokes. Um, I work in marketing by day, uh, always been a film buff. I'm one of those people who probably spends more time reading film criticism than actually watching films. You know, I'm more, as much a fan of the writing about film as I am about film itself. 
I actually live in Bristol, so I do I do physically get together with Steve on a regular basis. Steve, John Kirk, those guys, Nick Gilbert, Ian Loder, uh, and just we get together for a pint every now and then. Uh, but no, it's great to be here. Uh, great to be with you two. And let's kick it. Let's kick it off. And again, Sparky, I'm going to kick off with you. Tell us about Nightmare Castle. Exciting, morbid, perverse, ambiguous, enigmatic, more fascinating than ever. Barbara Steele in an original and passionate interpretation of the double role of Muriel and Jenny. Jenny, tender, fragile, romantic. Muriel, perfidious, dangerous, sensual. Two beings bound by a single fate and a single sinister secret. Two contrasting individuals, two opposite and distinct personalities. One woman with two faces, or two women with the same face, but profoundly different. A fearful doubt. A sinister enigma which becomes an obsessive nightmare in the night of the doom. The story of a guilty and frenzied passion which lives beyond the borders of death. <coughs> Victim of the sorcery of a merciless and diabolical sadist. <coughs> 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 Okay. Well, Nightmare Castle, one of the more overlooked Italian gothics, which is why I chose it. And uh, as, as to the, the, the why, I guess, after the synopsis and what drew me to it, um, 1965 Italy, one of the last black and white films made in Italy, if not the last black and white um, Italian gothic, Um it stars the marvellous Barbara Steele in not one but two roles, and anything gives me an opportunity to talk about um, Barbara Steele, I'll take it. Uh, we have Paul Muller as um, her mad scientist husband, Dr Stephen Arrowsmith. We have the lovely and elegant Helga Lyne as Solange, the housekeeper, and... We have Rick Battaglia as a big bit of beefcake, David the groundskeeper. Um, a dumb chap actually played the doctor that uh, was looking after uh, Barbara Steele's other persona during the film, but he's not really worth mentioning to my mind. Now, this film was written and directed by Mario, I'm going to mangle this, it could be Cinzano, it could be Keanu, it could be Chianti. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I do like to follow my Italian cinema. Um, and Mario did something like about 50 films, but a lot of them were the historical sword and sandal western. He's only, he only ever did one Italian, um, Gothic, I'm sorry, and he did one Italian giallo, um, which I'll talk a little bit more later. In terms of plot synopsis, Dr Stephen Arrowsmith is doing nasty things to frogs. Um, that kind of happens off camera, but we do see a bit of sizzle and smoke and um, Barbara Steele calls him disgusting and his disgusting experiments. So um, given what old Barbara's been up to from time to time, we know it's bad. Um, there's not a lot of love, obviously, between he and Muriel. Uh, he pretends to leave for a lecture um, in Edinburgh in order to catch Muriel between the sheets with a groundskeeper, David, played by... Bataglia. Now, you've only got to take one look at this side of beef to realise that there's no way you get muscles like that pruning roses. 
or that Muriel is keeping him around for trimming the hedges, so to speak. Um, in a pretty gruesome sequence for 1965, Paul Muller chains tor and tortures Muriel and David to death, and all of this just happens in the first few minutes of the film. Muller then uses Muriel's blood in experiments and de-ages the housekeeper Solange, Hel the beautiful Helga Linnae, who becomes his mistress, oddly enough. And I guess if you're rejected by Barbara Stirl, you could do worse than Helga, much worse in fact. Anyway, Muriel's inheritance passed to her stepsister Jenny in a classic uh, early Jalo or Italian Gothic tribe. So it's about money and it's about lust. Um, Jenny's been in an asylum for a few years as she is, in politically incorrect terms, mentally unstable. We don't tend to put labels on people like that these days, um, but there it is. Now, Muller plans with Lene to gain control of Jenny and drive her mad to obtain the money. Now, the fly in the ointment is, of course, Jenny looks just like Muriel, only blonde. In fact, um, looks like Barbara still in a blonde wig. And Muller is absolutely fascinated with her. He arrives home at the villa with his new bride. Now, it's not long, of course, before Jenny begins having nightmares, which includes the sound of a beating heart and Muriel's voice urging her to murder her new husband, Stephen. Stephen brings Dr Derek Joyce to the castle to treat Jenny, who becomes convinced that supernatural forces are at work. And what ensues are ghosts, possession possibly, revenge and some pretty good makeup effects for the time. The film has a really strong Gothic atmosphere, and it was actually shot in 18 days at the Villa Parisi at Frascati, which is about 25 kilometres from Rome, rather than on studio sets um, supplemented by exterior shots, as was standard for the time. It definitely adds to the look of the film. Steele is incredible as she plays the, adul the adulterous wife, the innocent stepsister being slowly driven mad, and taking on the persona of a vengeful Muriel. And then finally, plot spoiler, Jenny return, uh, Muriel returning as the vengeful ghost. And Border Muriel and David get their revenge on Stephen and Solange. Paul Muller's always solid. I'd first seen him in a lot of Jess Franco features, but his career stretches back far earlier than that. And Helga Linnae is a very compelling and composed screen presence um, who holds her own in scenes with Barbara Steele. I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, these kind of gothic horror movies that are still in black and white. Um, most likely I upset now a few people because I, for me, uh, the later one in colour a little bit too, I feel a little bit too cheesy, a little bit too much. That is when it's so in black and white. I think um, it has more this kind of uh, theatrical um, ambience I, I prefer. Um, I am, to be fair, if it just comes to look, uh, not such a big fan of uh, Barbara's feel. Excuse everyone. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> I, think she, <laughs> I think she has um, <sighs> she has no upper lip. That seems not to. <laughs> no. Um, 
I really like the story of the movie. Um, and I have to say, I watched it the first time, re-watched it the first time just after I came home from work. So I did fall asleep. We watched it then this morning again and was really fascinated um, by uh, the story. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it, what I have to say so far. Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, again, the great joy of this is uh, every time I, we record one of these, I get to see a bunch of films that I haven't seen. I hadn't seen this. I wasn't really aware of it. Like you, Sparky, I've, I've read up. Wow. Well, I, I read up on Barbara a bit, but I didn't, I think I've probably seen the title of this. The first film I ever saw Barbara Steele in, weirdly, was Shivers. Obviously, oh, much, much later yeah. in her career. And, yeah. and, and yeah. I, I suppose it was access to movies in the, in the UK. It was difficult. To get, I suppose if you, if you ever got old films on the TV, you might get some Hammer, or you might get some Tygon or Amicus, or um, maybe something from, from the 40s like Dead of Night. What you hardly ever got was gruesome Italian horrors. So we might have seen stills in movie magazines and things, but this, is, yeah. this would have been a rare chance to see it, yeah? Yeah, look, this is very similar to growing up in um, in Australia, Steve. Um, it's actually funny, you know. Um, I'm a 60s child and, um, you know, there were very few opportunities to catch contemporary horror films outside of drive-ins and there was no way that my parents were going to go for that. Um, but, of course, we had the golden age of home video in the early 80s in Australia. Um, the, the Film and Literature Classification Act in Australia didn't extend to videotapes. Um, so there was this massive loophole and they just released everything. So for a few years you could get uncut versions of the nastiest of the video nasties. You get blood-sucking freaks, I Spit on Your Grave, Dawn of the Dead, all uncut from your local video store, not to mention the porn. Um, some of that was actually a bit scarier than zombie flesh eaters. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Um, but, of course, I miss the golden era of home video. Um, by the time we got a VCR at home in 1985, that gate had been shut due to changes in the law and a censorship crackdown. And the, the few of the video rental shops that still had copies on their shelves, um, they gradually disappeared as the tapes were either worn out or stolen. So while we didn't have the kind of police raids and um, fines that you had in the UK, um, it became very hard to see so much of this stuff. Um, it was really the multicultural broadcaster on public TV where I first got my first shock exposure to Italian horror with um, uh, Mask of the Demon, Mask of Satan, Mario Barber's, um, of course, uh, well, second horror film, I guess. Um, and that, of course, was, again, my exposure to Barbara Steele. It, it was. Uh, I mean, I, she has, she she does have a very cinematic face, Barbara. Still, I love your description of her not having a, an upper lip. Because to me, <laughs> you just made me think. Oh my god, she's a Thunderbird. She's uh, she's this Jerry Anderson puppet with just the moving bottom lip. But I've got to also say, oh, she okay. <laughs> this is why I enjoyed Helga much. Not because just because it's the name of my mum, but in general, I, I like from the visuals Helga much better than Barbara in in that movie. Hmm. <laughs> well, I like. I, I, I mean, I, I did think that um, all these three films today 
demonstrate the serious importance of cheekbones in the yes. 1960s cinema because every heroine that we look at has got amazing cheekbones uh, and Barbara, Stre- Barbara, Barbara Streisand Barbara Steele might be the queen <laughs> of that not Streisand well, no Streisand I promise you no Streisand on this pod I thought there was some there was some very interesting almost like uh, it's not an illusion, it's more foreshadowing uh, of future films. There's that scene where um, Barbara Stills getting together with the, with, the, with, the, with the slab of beef, as you said, in the uh, in the greenhouse. <laughs> and that's uh, th- there's always industrial sound on the soundtrack. It's quite David Lynch. Yeah. It was very weird yeah. and quite out of context. And uh, almost like they shot it, not for something else, but it makes a sequence in its own right, really interesting. Um, there's also a bit in there where everybody starts acting in slow motion. There's no, they're not, it's not in slow motion. They just deliberately do it to look like it's slow motion, which I thought was. Yeah, fun. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's that drone sequence with a faceless man. I really love that. Yes. Yes. That's very, it's really interesting. Um, I felt a little bit sorry for oh, Stephen because his wife does cop off with everybody that's not him. Uh, handsome Gardner. Yeah, yeah, I'll have that. <laughs> I think that's why I, what I really enjoyed was the symbolic when he's uh, taking the dagger. Um, out of the two hearts to release the complete situation, to release basically everything. That was a fantastic scene, I have to say that. Yes, yeah. And and also to that, it sounds weird, but up until almost an hour in, you don't actually know if there's anything supernatural going on. Yeah. Um, it takes a while, doesn't it? You, it's not that... Uh, it could it could all be delusions, it could all be madness, and then and then ghosts actually do start to appear. Uh, which yeah. shares, shares things with our third film. Really, at the end, I think, and this is why it's most likely a little bit tricky to say it's a Jalo movie or not, because Jalo actually is always based on really human and not um, um, supernatural kind of causes. So this is a little bit of an um, in-between thing. I found, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so very powerful. I, I'm always thinking, guys, as we, we all love our Italian Jalo and stuff here i was thinking when solange is having her blood transfusion i was thinking what have they done to solange because no, no. <laughs> come on shameful steve right that's the quality of the jokes yeah absolutely <laughs> shameful by names shameful by nature <laughs> and i did love the bit where uh barbara still starts elaborating on the, the on the pleasures of the torment of the flesh uh, yeah, and that was well, This is actually why I said um, now after so many, I, I have to say I stopped stopped back from these kind of movies for a while, because um and now I see it a little bit different when because always when you see females in in this kind of movies tortured, you notice it's more like a kind of sexual torture. Um, and I assume this is um coming from, because then, back then, there was, was not much porn or, or non as accessible. So this, this combination of, of lust and, 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 and torture is, is very, very no, noticeable. Was it, yeah. was it, yeah. was it more of an excuse so to get... Tough. Sorry, yeah, Sparky, you go. Oh. Oh. <laughs> sorry, so I was going to say again, um, without stealing your thunder, that also ties in that theme very nicely with the film that you're going to cover. Would you think it was an excuse yes. to get some? Do you think, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was an excuse to get some flesh on the screen? Um, you know, again, again, I think particularly. So. Yeah. so yes. Yeah, I because think um, it's, it's all these movies are more made for men, to be honest. 
Um, and, and I don't want to just now again because your face, but she has amazing body, which is presented all the time in night uh, in night gowns, even and mention it with, when she goes down and she's still have, having her hair uh, down and is wearing the nightgown and she's saying, oh, can I go like this downstairs? And of course she can. And then we see her, her face several times like and, and really, again, I, I, I repeat myself, not in, 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 in pain, the face, but in lust. And I have to say, just to jump a little bit the gun, that I had a little bit of a problem with uh, the whip in the body because that's even more present there for me, especially and, and during the speech scene. Um, I, I really, from from as an emancipated woman, and, and I know it's a historic document, but watching it from nowadays, it, I find it a bit cringe to be fair. Sure, sure. No, <laughs> again, um, so I was going to do a bit of a bit of a sandwich. So um, we'll talk about the whip in the body towards the end. Uh, yeah. I, 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 Sparky, this was a great choice. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, there, there are no, I've never seen a bad movie in these, uh, and that, but that was really interesting to me. Um, and funnily enough, uh, and I know we'll talk about Barbara in a bit. Um, I, I got more interested in Italian cinema when I read a lot of video watchdog, when I read but the Barber book by Tim Lewis, yes. as you have, Sparky, yeah, uh, because he's he's into everything. Um, so over the seven or eight or 10 or 15 years that was published, uh, I got to know a lot more about these things. Again, surprisingly difficult to see. I mean, the era of YouTube has been fabulous for us because we can actually catch up on things. Um, and I was yeah. I was quite surprised at how strong this was in terms of the sadism, in terms of the torture. And, and as you said, the the, the makeup, Sparky, was um, really good and really nasty at the same time. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. The, the director uh, really wanted to make it in colour. Uh, I saw an interview with him. Um, the producers wouldn't go for the, the extra money. But I honestly think they would have had a lot of trouble with the censors, with that makeup, with some of the blood in some of the scenes. Um, I think it was the fact that it was in black and white that probably helped it survive in the version that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Statistics say that every year London has 40 nights of fog. And who will they murder tonight, I wonder? Every morning, the police discover a new victim. Who's the dead man? The crime wave continues, and Scotland Yard combs the harbour in search of the madman. Where is he? Who is he? calls itself that because they pull their crimes in the middle of the night. Watch it, it's hot. Very hot. Fear reigns. Danger lurks everywhere. And the police are powerless. Terror grips another victim. And another. And still another. So, Danny, you brought us an interesting choice. Um, 
Dead Eyes of tell us about Dead Eyes of London and tell us a little bit about the, about the creamy genre. Yeah, so the Dead Eyes of London is a um, Penny Dreadful um, novel from Edgar Wallace, and Edgar Wallace is uh, or was one of the most on and still is most likely most prolific um, British uh, authors. Um, I do a little bit of a because you asked me to about uh, German creamy adaptions in general to do that. We need to start a little bit earlier and start with basically pre-Second uh, World War. And uh, <clears throat> this is, um, I try to cut this because there are so many connections and that's why I chose this uh, movie as well. Um, Edgar Wallace wrote um, a um, novel which is called The Man Who Changed His Name. And um, in 1933, they made a movie which was... Uh, actually Italian movie called Giallo, because the name, of course, as we all know, comes from the yellow covers of the Penny Dreadfuls. And then um, The Dark Eyes of London, not The Dead Eyes of London, was the first time uh, filmed in 1939, actually, and was actually called The Dark Eyes of London, and Bela Lugosi stayed in that, um, started it. And um, then... Um, they did quite a bit towards Edgar Wallace in Germany before the war started. Um, and then during the Third Reich, of course, all these everything what has had to do with crime, they had to stop filming it and all the books, of course, were forbidden. So they stopped for a while. But they did already in 1929 the Princeton Circle, which was later on again remade. Um, the big boom of these uh, movies came later on in the end of the 1950s, actually due to a Danish company, Rialto Films, who did first um, the Der Frosch mit der Maske, the Frog with the Mask. And they had such a big success, and finally people actually wanted to uh, see something of what has to do, had to do with crime, and uh, it was quite dark. So they did uh, 39 um, movies, all based on Edgar Wallace, um, Penny Dreadfuls, or for the American dime novels, I think they called it, and German Caution uh, Romane. <clears throat> and um, coming back to the movie I chose, um, that's The Dark Eyes of London, The Dead Eyes of London, and it's about murders in London. Actually, he wasn't filmed in London, but in Hamburg, where I'm from. That's another reason why I chose this movie. And if I watch this movie nowadays, I can really see the parts of London that they used. It's not the River Thames, it's the River um, Alster in Hamburg. And it deals with a group of really wealthy people who all get killed, highly insured, and a group of blind people are killing them and um, Scotland Yard is um, exploring this topic and um, um, they have assistance from one of the earliest I would say German screen queens Karen Bahn uh, she's repetitively used in these kind of at this in these kind of Edgar Wallace movies and um, they try to figure out who it is. It's a little bit of a de detective story, and um, I don't want to say so much more because I thought we are only have giving a short introduction to the movie as such. 
Um, I find it, I personally find it extremely interesting that uh, later on in the last three of these mentioned 39, really 39 Edgar Wallace movies, the, the Alto didn't have enough money anymore. So they actually asked an Italian film company to help them with the production. And this is where the other connection to um, Jalo movies basically is coming from because they had to step in. I'm again, like I said in the beginning, big fan of black and white movies. Um, this is why uh, The Dead Eyes of London, or The Totenaugen from London is my favorite. And it's actually, even though it's a black and white movie, it's quite interesting too. They use the first time red when the Edgar Wallace is coming on in the, in the title. I, I love these um, movies and I had as a child um, even the cassette tapes to listen to it. And um, even Quentin Tarantino in, in Glorious Bastard, for example, I don't have, I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan anymore, but that stands on another page. When during Inglorious Bastards, when they're playing this game where you put your name on the forehead and other people <laughs> has, have to get to it. Actually, one of them puts Edgar Wallace on um, the forehead. So, yeah, that's why I chose this movie. That's why I love this movie. Not even to mention all the connection of Edgar Wallace to King Kong and this kind of genre. Yeah, fantastic. Watch it. <laughs> and it's all, yeah. yeah. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned to you, Danny, I'd never seen a crimi. Once again, a genre I'd read all about. Uh, but I'd never seen one, so this was a good introduction. Um, Sparky, did you enjoy it? Steve uh, and Danny, firstly, Danny, thank you so much for recommending Dead Eyes of London. Um, Mrs Sparky and I watched it last night, and we were really thrilled. We, we loved it a lot. Um, I've had a copy of it for probably nearly 20 years because I bought it as a double uh, on a DVD from Retromedia that had Ricardo Freitas, the ghost, with the lipless oh, yeah. Barbara Stern. and But I'd never watched Dead Eyes of London. And, and similarly, I've got on one of the Christopher Lee sets um, that's just been recently released from Severin. There's a crimi that he did with Marisa Mel, and I forget the name of it at the moment, but really keen to see it now. Um, and I think I might have mentioned in our chat that um, Severin did a interesting release a little while ago, which was called All the um, Colours of Jalo, and there was a documentary. There was a soundtrack with some really good tracks. Um, there was a compilation of no less than 80-odd trailers in the Jalo genre, which takes you about four hours to get through. Well worth it. Very entertaining commentary by Kat Allinger. Um, but on a second disc... There's about 30-odd crimi trailers, and I really want to yeah. get a look at those now and and just yeah. get a bit more understanding for the genre. Um, really liked it, and it's funny because the atmosphere of that film, you know, the fog, the London settings, really reminded um, both of us of the Basil Rathbone and man? Nigel Bruce films by Roy w William Nail in the 1940s. And yeah. The, yeah. the two characters, um, Larry Holt and Sonny Harvey in this one, like they were great in their roles. So why are they playing off each other? And I was kind of wondering, like, is this a series? Are they going to be in the films? But I had a little bit of a look um, 
on Wikipedia and elsewhere today. And, and even though um, the director, Alfred um, Bora, directed another 13 films in the genre. Because yeah, I prefer um, her. Later on, it actually started, um, it's called Derek. It's one of the most popular um, German, um, it's similar to The Professionals. All right. So that's how okay. actually it, it continues. That's how he later yeah. on made basically TV, yeah, TV series, yeah. one of the, yeah. Yeah, I guess what, what um, Mrs Sparky and I were scratching our heads over this morning and, and talking about the film that we saw last night was um, the, the characters, Larry and Sonny, you know, they could have been a series. They could have grabbed um, the Edgar Wallace novels and, and developed a series of films around it. Hold apparently played something like 11 different inspectors. Um, in other Edgar Wallace films, but never the same character twice. And and to me, that's baffling. <laughs> no, that comes really, Florian uh, used that later on. And one of these um, catchphrases later on in the, in the steric is, Harry, hold the car. Uh, uh, Harry, hold the wagon. Harry, get the car. It's not Larry, but it's Harry. And <laughs> Eddie Arden. And Eddie Arendt, who is Sunny, is actually in quite a few of the Edgar Wallace uh, movies. And mm. so is in Fuchsberg, who later on has more like a TV character too. And we, um, of course, all know Klaus Kinski. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Kinski was, mar <laughs> was marvellous. Marvellous with the sunglasses, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I love the way the cinematographer yeah. used the sunglasses. Very clever in places. Yeah. Couple yeah, of shots yeah, where yeah. he's looking at somebody else, and you're thinking, "How did they take that shot of the other person reflected in the in the glasses without the camera being visible as well?" Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> you talk about you talk about the relationship between them, uh, Danny. I assumed we'd been dropped in the middle of a series. I genuinely did. It seemed like there was yeah. a backstory there that everybody knew each other, um, and that uh, and, and they're all sharing yeah. jokes. It, it seemed they're all sharing jokes that they've been sharing for a long time. So I'm genuinely surprised that it's not part of a series. Oh, well, sorry, that the, the, they aren't part of a series. They, they use it a little bit because there are reoccurring um, um, actors in 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 these um, in the first I would say like twenty uh, Edgar Wallace movies. Later on, it it loses a little bit. Um, the best one, in, in my opinion, are directed by Alfred Foyer. The um, last three ones where they later on, I've, I have to say it like this, the Italian uh, production company involved are not so great anymore. And then they really stopped it. But um, look, we are talking here about times where you only had like one or two channels on TV. People stayed at home and based their, their, their evening entertainment around it later on. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of, because uh, it's, quite long for something like this now 40 um there's yeah. a lot goes on there's a lot of exposition mm. there's a lot of story uh and i did think funnily enough much as you just said that's an evening's entertainment there i do think that every now and then they would just say oh it sounds like the bright the blind killers are back and you're thinking hang on can, <laughs> can we just discover this somehow you'd have to tell us we'll go this, this, apart from we know that a bit um the uh, the other thing oh something made me laugh the uh, gordon stewart comes in so there's the there's the stereotype banker they're all, all the bankers are getting killed because it's a big insurance deal uh and they all look the same they're all men with glasses which i, I don't think the glasses thing is explained but they're, they're all men with glasses of a certain appearance who get murdered on foggy nights uh, and Gordon Stewart comes in. I haven't been told that. Gordon Stewart comes into uh, the insurer's office and we think, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, we got your number, mate. You're not going to last long. He looks just like a British comedian called Stanley Unwin. This delivery Maximus Milo's and outstanding fold in the wet gripper. Oh, horrendous expensive fold, right here, you utter it. But no, P3 is thrifty much on your banky balancer than Barbalo Pirelli P3. All clear now? We talked about the interesting cinematography and the use of glasses. There's a couple of shots from inside the guy's mouth as he's cleaning his teeth. I thought that was... Yeah, what was that about? No idea. No idea. But it certainly made it interesting. Um, so that was that yeah. was good fun. Um, as I say, the, the you mentioned the Scream Queens. Now, I'm not familiar with these women, but they're, they're all stunning. But quite small parts. I was surprised. I thought they'd make a little, just a little bit more of that. You've got these attractive people in here, and but it's a very male-oriented movie, um, I thought. Or, or, actually, Danny, considering yeah. your perspective on the previous <laughs> films, is, am I right? In a way... In a way. I thought she is um it's um for that time she's more like a system because she can understand the braille um writing and things like that. So it's a bit of a uplifted kind of uh, female role for nineteen sixty one. No, good a good point. Good point. So I thought that was great. As I say, great first exposure to Krimi for me. Um something I've always wanted to do. I'll definitely go out and seek some more out and uh, see what we can yeah, well obviously we'll put the, the link is in the chat for people. Um, but no, excellent recommendation. Thank you. And as I say, exposure to a whole new genre for me. Thank you, Dan. That was great. Yeah, and it was great, Danny. Thank you. Best thing about this Facebook group, it really is. You get to see stuff that you, you know, you'd never dream of. You haven't changed, I see. You always loved violence. Okay, so my choice today, um, as you know, I tried to get a couple of couple of things in there. It's, uh, it became a question of what can we all see? Um, and had I had I really thought it through, I probably wouldn't have gone for the whip and the body. Not because I, the reason <laughs> I chose whip and the body was because I saw an awful lot of Bava. Um, like you, Sparky, I managed to read all the colours of the dark. The Tim Lucas book uh, had a lovely digital copy. Sadly, I think the video watchdog app has disappeared, so you can't oh, get it. And there were, all all the magazines were digitised online as well. And I think the lot's gone at the moment. But that really got me into Barber, and uh, this was my go-to because it's a big book. The brilliant thing about having it on my iPad was I could read it on planes and things. Which I'm guessing, Sparky, you can put your three hundred pound and three hundred pound book. Um, you're not going to yeah. take it with you on an air journey. I, I love lying down in bed and reading, Steve, and it's just not happening for that volume. <laughs> it's a glorious book. Danny, have you seen it? Have you seen All the Colours of the Dark, the book? Um, the book? Yeah. No, the book. It, this is, so this is Tim. Well, Tim I, Lick. I no, I, I, I can't afford. Uh, I, I can't afford the book, and I never had it as a digital version. No, I didn't. Sadly, I think the digital version. By the way, Sparky, digital version thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. Yeah, very short lived. I know. It was great. Uh, so, that, that, but it was great to get that out there. Um, but that got me into Barva. Um, and then I, and then of course Arrow, and uh, issued loads of Barva movies in the past few years. But I'd never seen The Whip and the Body. Never seen it. So uh, it's my, my job to uh, to quickly synopsize, which I'll, I'll freely admit I'm nicking from Wikipedia. K um, Chris Kurt is the uh, the oldest son of Count Menlif, uh, returns to a castle on the East European coast. Brilliantly photographed castle as well, by the way. Uh, combination, I think, of glass shots uh, and real real locations there. Um, yeah. 
he was about to be married to Nevenka, but had an affair with the with Tanya, the daughter of servant Georgia, who plays a big part later on. Uh, and Tanya committed suicide because of Kurt. Uh, Count Menev rejected Kurt and he left the castle. Nevenka, his bride to be as was, married Cristiano, who is Kurt's younger brother, played by Tony Kendall. Kurt comes back. And that's the scene that opens the whole film is that fantastic scene of him riding across the beach, uh, apparently to celebrate Christiana Novenka, but in fact, he wants to try and get everything back, including Novenka. Uh, they have an evening on the beach following the session, and Daniel, so we'll talk about this in a minute, the session of flogging and sex, as it says uh, euphemistically on, uh, oh, not euphemistically, on Wikipedia. Uh, Novenka understands she's still in love with Kurt. Frustrated, she doesn't return to the castle and is eventually found unconscious by the butler. Uh, on the same night, Kurt is killed under curious circumstances with the same dagger that Tanya committed suicide with. Now, Kurt is dead, but a series of events hints that his ghost has started to haunt the castle for revenge. Uh, this was what I didn't expect to some extent. I didn't expect it to be a whodunit. And for the great body of the film, it mm. really is. It, it, yeah, it starts off as one yeah. thing, turns into another. Um, I'm going to yeah. disagree with you a little bit, Danny, about the look of it. I... I thought it looked it looks like um the covers of lurid gothic paperbacks throughout Be- everything's almost three-dimensional beautiful use of color throughout um and it looks like paintings all the time it looks like paintings and and sparky you were talking yes. about the last of the great black and whites and i i i love the way this looks and as i say above a fan of old and well now i am and um i just thought it it, it looks stunning three-dimensional glorious i thought uh, the cast the cast are actually great i mean the catcher castor given the material they're doing surprisingly naturalistic really harriet madame or harriet white as she's billed here the 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 housekeeper oh she's so grumpy she's so grumpy but she does a lot of it without saying a word it's all about the look yeah. it's all about the look across the room and um and, and you know exactly what she's thinking now Danny, you have a, an admiration for Dania Lava. Tell, tell, tell us about that. I think that's uh, based on my dad. Uh, and she was really big in, uh, in the 60s in Germany. She was because she sang in German as well. Funny enough, I was only reading about the Schlager genre of music, which yeah. um, just a couple of nights ago in Michelle Faber's book, Listen, it's not a uh, genre we were, we were familiar with at all. What is Schlager? Well, tell us about Schlager a little bit. Uh, Schlager um, is what you would call, or what you what you call later on, pop music. Um, I, I think that this is again related a little bit to the Second World War, and that after the end of the Second World War, um, they wanted something happy and and, and 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 funny and nice. So that's where Schlager, more or less, involved uh, came from, evolved right. from. I've heard you do a stunning impression. No, it's... I, 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 I. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what you said. That's not what you said. When you were writing those, I do a great impression of Dali. This is. I won't put you on the spot there. Danny, you mentioned that you were not such a Barva fan, and you hinted earlier you, you, you were necessarily to the sadism and the treatment of women. Do you want to expand on that a bit? I have to say, I have not seen it before, and I um, enjoyed it from the deepness and the twist who actually, at the end of the day, um, killed people. I don't know if we talk about because I don't want to spoil yeah, you. No, feel, 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 feel free. We're spoiling a 50-year-old movie, so a 60-year-old movie. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could have seen it by now. <laughs> well, also, there's links I, I for everybody. Because it has a little bit of this, um, which justifies for me a little bit the... Um, 
uh, what I said before with the lust and 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 um, violence or appreciating that a male is nasty towards you. This is something I. I'm, it's not easy for me. To, I don't. I don't. Um, I can't. Um, appreciate that mm-hmm. and it's it's very stressed in 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 this movie um so at the end of the day it's her actually who who has killed who has killed the how i understood mm. the movie killed Red, killed killed curtis killed basically everyone um but then i thought was it actually her or was it just Curtis who influenced her so much to do so? Um, ah. Because I agree, agree a little bit with that Curtis is not the man Curtis. It's more like evil, the evil as such in, in, in this movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it's up to everyone's interpretation what you want to read into this or not. But um, I, I see a little bit more as an instrument for the things she's doing later on or in between or when we find out that she wasn't all along. Um, it makes to me still the impression that Curtis influenced her to do so. Well, yeah, it's a very good uh, take on it, actually. Uh, because you're right, she's obviously driven to it. It's also interesting to me, um, so I'm slightly, slightly off that topic, uh, Christopher Lee as a romantic leading man. He looks fabulous in this film. He looks, he's amazingly well dressed. He looks fantastic with the black hair and all this, yes. Yeah. Very, very good. Looks fabulous in a suit. <laughs> I was quite envious, actually. <laughs> but you're right, he's that yeah. incarnation of evil. Um, Spock, you've, uh, you've you've had your share of Barbie. Have you, you said you've watched this quite recently, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's probably about the third or fourth time I've seen it, Steve. And um, as much as we all like to put fun at Callum Waddell, um, 88 Films has released a beautiful edition uh, of that. The previous Blu-rays were lacking and it just looked stunning. It, you know, you can access it on, on YouTube, but if you've got any appreciation for the film, like pick up the Blu-ray, it is jaw-dropping. Um, look, I, I love it. Um, you know, astonishing to see Lee so young um, and, as you said, pretty damn snappy in that suit, <laughs> even if he is doing unspeakable things to people who may or may not enjoy it. Um, I think Barva might, this is me back on my Barbara Steele kick again, I think it would have been quite happy to grab Barbara Steele for that one. Um, but she was doing Pit and Pendulum at the time for, with Roger Corman, if I'm not mistaken. So Dahlia Larvey was, was wonderful in the role. And, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's challenging. I understand what, what, what Danny was saying. Um, the sadomasochistic elements are, are pretty big for the day. Perhaps if... Dahlia Larvey's uh, intended wasn't so dull. She <laughs> might not have gotten caught up in something where she was clearly way over her head. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, she, she, she took her agency back. And I'm kind of with Danny that you can, and I've watched the film, I think, three, four times. And it's like, you know, was she really haunted, uh, apart from obviously uh, figuratively being haunted by um, Carl who threw that beach party for two that she, she obviously couldn't forget? 
I think I think depending on your mood, you, it's it's a subtle film. It's a clever film, and the script was by the great Ernesto Gastaldi, who'd done something like about 120 films in many many genres, and that was one of his early ones. And there is a depth to it. Oh, I, Steve, I just love it. So yeah. when I when I heard that that you were doing that, I thought, well, that's easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleased to hear it. That was that. This is exactly the conversation I'd hoped for, guys. Um, when I when I started doing these, um, I, we've already, I've mentioned Tim Lucas a lot. Danny, I, Danny, did you ever see? Have you ever read Video Watchdog or any? Because uh, he's still he's about on Facebook, Tim Lucas, and he started his magazine 25 years ago, uh, and it was really my go-to. Still, is my favourite film magazine of all time. But one of the things I wanted to do with this pod was actually bring back an element of that. You know, these interesting, in-depth conversations about genre movies that people might not have seen, you know. And uh, I really think we've done that today. I've really enjoyed the conversation from that point of view. And I always had a hope that we... The most important thing for any of this should be that people find out something they don't know. Or, here's a recommendation. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Sparky. Phenomenally interesting conversation. And I really appreciate it. I hope you found that as interesting and eye-opening as I did, especially those dead eyes. As ever, there are links to the three movies, Nightmare Castle, Dead Eyes of London and The Whip and the Body, in the show notes and on Facebook. Now, I promised I'd bring you some very big news at the start of the episode, and here we go! Our very own Blu-ray Bloodhound has outgrown this earthly shell of a pod. Instead, we'll be alternating the main pod with the Blu-ray Bloodhound, meaning new podcasts every two weeks from your favourite cult film society. You shouldn't need to change a thing. The Blu-ray Bloodhound episodes will still come out on the same subscription channel where you found this. You're looking for that Sapphire and Steel Steelbook? The Bone Collector, Collector's Edition. The Obi Strip for Corman's The Trip. Who knows where they can be found? The Bloodhound knows. And every month, alternating with this show, will give you not only John's fabulous previews, but a handy-dandy checklist guide of what to buy and when. But that's enough brilliant news, as well as beatings, blindings and bloody whippings for one month. Come back in two weeks' time for the inaugural episode of the Blu-ray Bloodhound, Unleashed. And don't forget to join the Facebook group, Bristol Cult Film Society, for many more raunchy recommendations where this lot came from. Pod people this time... Pod people this time include Alicia Ann Archer with her always stellar melodies. Sparky Ardito with Nightmare Castle, Danny Balshan with Dead Eyes of London, and me, Shameful Steve, with The Whip and the Body. Blessed be to Steve Naive, our very own man in the wicker basket. Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! The show was written, produced, and presented by me, Shameful Steve Noble. Shameful Steve on Twitter. And remember... You! You can run! But you can't hide!